I'm recording. Let's see if I know how to do this. I'm recording. Are you ready? It's recording. Yeah. One, two, three. Hello, and welcome to The Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. And here we are, back for season six. Let's see if we remember how to do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we've six years in now and episode 85 for anyone who's counting uh we'll be discussing the magnolia sword by sherry thomas which is a retelling of the legend of mulan which uh probably most people know is a famous warrior who disguised herself as a man and is like super famous and legendary now you know with all of the retellings and there's the Disney movie, of course, and the remakes and different things. So yeah, excited to dig into it. Initial reactions, Jesse, go first. Cause I am back on my bullshit and forgot to write mine again. <laughs> yeah. Episode one, not even writing a reaction. Okay. <laughs> I really loved Mulan as a kid. I think that movie came out in like 1998. So that's like right in my childhood years. I'm sure if I went back and tried to like watch it now, it would be like all kinds of problematic. Um, yeah, <laughs> but <probably>. I enjoyed, <laughs> but I enjoyed this story, and I listened to the audiobook, which was narrated by Emily Wu Zeller. There were definitely points where things lagged in the story, um, and I wanted things to speed up. But when things were happening, I was really intrigued and like really caught up in the story. So I would say mm, more enjoyed than like you know, worried about the laggy parts, but uh, yeah, this was pretty good. What about you? I also listened to the audiobook by um, narrated by Emily Wu Zeller, and I agree with you that a few parts kind of lagged. It was a little bit more like um, in that vein of like a chivalric romance sort of mm -hmm. like night tales of like knights errant and all of their like adventures. And um, yeah, there was some traveling uh, which maybe <laughs> was where it slowed down a little because um, they're like literally walking and also riding horses. <laughs> yeah, there was no magical yeah. portals or anything like that. Um, they had to take the long way. Yeah, I, I liked the book. I It's not one of my tops that I think we've read, but you know, I enjoy a historical fiction occasionally. And I also loved Mulan as a kid. I remember being like, um, what is it? The internet calls him like bisexual icon Lee Shang or something that like... <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that like uh the love interest i guess um yeah in the movie but yeah i would be interested to see is there i assume there's a sequel oh i don't the, think so no I thought it was just it? the one it's a one-off okay i'll look it up i will say i gave this four out of five stars maybe we should start doing star ratings i gave it four out of five so mm -hmm. that's that's like pretty good yeah yeah definitely um, what is it magnolia <laughs> Let's see. We're doing our due diligence for everyone. It is a one-off. Just one. Okay. We love that. Yes. Yeah. We need more <laughs> single stories. <laughs> more of those. Do it in one book, please. 300 pages. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Um, recommend if you like. I said Mulan the movie, obviously, because I feel like if you like that movie, you'll probably like this book because it's that story. 
I also think Hafsa Faisal's, uh, I can't remember the name of the series now. Everything is gone from my brain right now. We hunt the flame. Jesse uh, is something the stars. We free the stars. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Because I feel like badass characters. That one has more magic in it. And then there's this book that I read for my Asian American literature class called Beneath the Moon by Yoshi Yoshitani. Um, and it has a bunch of folklore and fairy tales from like, across different cultures um and i think that book could be good i think mulan was in that but like if you were interested in hearing about like they had like yoruba folklore across the asian and african diaspora they had like white people folklore as well um whatever you call that (laughs) (laughs) culture vultures so i would recommend that it's like short little chapters nice i haven't heard of that one (laughs) it's a good one i also would put in there some of these more like like the legend of the condor heroes or crouching tiger hidden dragon like some of these big like what what do you what do you call it? like the tent the tent pole like sort of narratives with which are like um you know from like back in the day ancient times lots of sword fighting lots of like yeah all of, all of these like a uh, lot of like respect, full rituals, you know, it feels very like old timey, but you know, not medieval yeah. Europe. It's like China where they were. Yeah. I think we kind of call usually call them like martial arts movies. Yes. Like I feel like I've never seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but I feel like it's like the pinnacle of martial arts movies. Exactly. Exactly. That's yes. You, you called it. Thank you. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> um, why did we choose this book? Uh, we have our lovely Patreon patron Gray to thank for this recommendation. Uh, they are on Instagram at Gray, G-R-E-Y underscore reads. And they have so many excellent book suggestions, especially if you're interested in poetry. They read very widely. And I, I honestly cannot tell you how many posts I have like saved and bookmarked on my Instagram. I'm like, oh, Gray posted something else <laughs> with amazing reviews. So I'm going to save it and then, you know, come back to it later because I can't keep track of everything at once. No, it's too hard. That save that save button comes in handy. <laughs> it does indeed. It does. Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. But this book takes place in 484 AD. Um, there's an author's note at the end, which was included in the audiobook, which I appreciate it, that talks about all the research the author did to be able to write a book set in this time period um, that I found super interesting because Sherry Thomas immigrated from China when she was 13 to the United States. Um, and the author's note kind of talks about how different the food, the clothes, the culture were from like our present day and her the culture that she experienced while she lived in China. Um, so I just found it really interesting to think about like sometimes we think about culture as like being set in this specific time and without thinking about like how things have changed over time. So it was really interesting to see her like kind of talk about, you know, mm, talk about the food and clothes and like how those things are different from how they were obviously over 2000 years ago. <laughs> yeah, we got like a whole history lesson in the author's note which i mm-hmm. i loved i would even call it a paratext because it goes with the text but it's not part yeah. of the actual text <laughs> um yeah i i love that when they put those in author in um, audiobooks i hope that they you know the industry keeps doing that because there's so much interesting information and then you get like bio biographical information from sherry thomas and yeah about how she was like asked to write this story and has been working on it for several years and i also appreciated how like maybe just because like I'm a nerd and I tend to like 
love research and things like that. So I, I like hearing about what the authors do in order to craft the stories that we're, we have in our hands or in our ears, I guess. When is kind of like a different way I think we often think of like book publishing as being something that like the author comes up with this idea they write it it gets published blah 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 but like it was interesting to see like because you know the publisher Lee and Lo Books came to Sherry Thomas and were like do you want to write this book we want to like have this kind of story out there so it's also just like kind of interesting to think about a different way of books getting published by authors who are already established I don't think new authors have this kind of like privilege right but just kind of being like, hey, do you want to take on this retelling of a very popular story and write it, you know, from your perspective? So I thought that was really cool, too. We love Lee and Low books also. So, yes. Yes. Shout out to them. We also have, like, lots of court intrigue and, like, manners. I'm putting that in quotations because it feels, like, very, um, like, procedural and, like, mm, I don't know, like, hierarchical. Yes. Um, <laughs> And Mulan's kind of like, uh, I don't like this. This is silly. A lot of the times, like joking around about it with Kai. Uh, but it was interesting to see because I don't think we've read a lot of book where like these specific mm, actions and words have to be said in a certain way, like for people to function in the society um, in a way that keeps them like within the confines of what is acceptable. So I just thought that was really interesting. It wasn't something I had read that much before, except for like what you were talking about, like like these knightly tales, like medieval, whatever they're called, like King Arthur or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the sort of like elaborate rituals to show respect and like mm-hmm. you use the word procedure, which I think is like a perfect word. And also like acknowledging these hierarchies that you mentioned, but but it's like the the way that you have to like defer you have to use like flowery language to the people in like higher positions and you can't just like say straight like what you mean directly and bluntly so you know I I would uh probably fail in in such an environment I I have a hard time I've been yeah called blunt (laughs) in multiple languages Uh, (laughs) in multiple ways (laughs) yeah I don't think I could do it either I would be like god no I'm not doing that also, this book had so much traveling, and I feel like Gray did this to me on purpose <laughs> because I liked uh, Zara and the Windseeker, which had a lot of traveling. But like, I didn't dislike this book, but I was just like, "Oh my god! Like, how much time are we going to spend traveling in this book?" I swear, like, China's <laughs> a big place, and I the know. wall is very long. <laughs> yeah, how far are we walking? How far are we walking? We're riding horses. People are getting tired. They're camping out, and I'm just like, "Oh my god!" Like. <laughs> it's funny because gray actually has two gray has two recommendations this season so if the next one is all traveling gray i'm gonna be like you can't you can't recommend (laughs) (laughs) i'm joking obviously joking i probably should have gotten out a map to be honest yeah to actually see i knew that they were in like the northern part of china but like oh here there's maps on the internet let me look up where the great (laughs) wall of china goes (laughs) i promise i have a phd all you wouldn't know though it's the search terms the librarian would tell Mm -hmm. me that you have to do your search terms correctly yes yes well it's hard now google is like natural language processing or whatever so yeah it is very big yeah, it's very big. Well, and the like the fact that they were it, it was cool to have these descriptions of this place that's like almost kind of mythical in and of itself, you know, especially from like a quote unquote Western imagination and how it's like big enough to 
drive like carts across like yeah. and horses and all these things and I don't think I realized how wide it was yeah yeah so big and I, I can't believe I didn't put this in my notes but maybe we can just talk about it here but like the the whole wall shtick and how it's been shown to be like not an effective tactic because they were taught it's funny because Mulan was also asking these questions of her superiors being like so like does this actually work like yeah. don't people like get across it a lot and what's well, so long you can't protect the whole thing like you can't have people at like every 10 feet or something it's like it's huge it's huge and then there's like it it obviously there's places where there isn't the wall so people can just like yeah. go around you know so it just makes me think yeah. of of border walls and how usually not the best tactic no don't work very well don't work well at all <laughs> <laughs> haven't we we should have learned something in this uh 1500 years since then right five it was about four four eighty four you said ad yeah mm-hmm. wow wild that was a long time ago and it's wild because like that wall is still there i'm like how yeah i don't understand that's i mean it's pretty like big feat of like architectural whatever i mean and also, mm -hmm. like, lots of people died building it, so. Yeah, I was going to say, it probably wasn't the best working conditions. They probably didn't have mm -hmm. a union. They probably no. didn't have weekends <laughs> off. Like, What is a weekend? <laughs> workman's comp. None of that. <laughs> Let's discuss all things magic. Okay, there wasn't, like... A lot of magic here. I don't understand if the swords are magic. Uh, but I think because it's based on like folklore, it kind of falls into fantasy. I don't know. It like toes that line between like fantasy and historical fiction, maybe. Yeah, it is like kind of fuzzy, the line between folklore and fantasy. I think especially because we've read so many like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, high fantasy novels for the show mm -hmm. that are like also based in myths and folklore traditions from all over the world yeah but like those stories have large doses of magic and other like fantastical elements but i don't know like essentially godly martial arts powers could arguably you know fit in that category yeah. but like there's just people who are just hella skilled you know what i mean like yeah I think we've got, like like you said, historical fiction dealing with a figure who, like, did exist in the past in real life, we think, or mm -hmm. pretty sure, and then has been transformed through narrative into, like, an immortal myth and legend that transcends space-time, which, like, I don't know, kind of sounds like magic to me, that whole, like, process, you know, and how we're talking about it in 2023. Yeah, so I think that's its own kind of magic if you think about it. But, yeah, there wasn't, like... I don't even... I don't remember, like any scenes with like an oracle at the court or like mm -mm. even um, like maybe reading cards or anything at, at home where there might've been like more, cause I think they were from the South originally. And then they were like refugees up North is what I understood. Mm -hmm. Like Mul Mulan and her family, like her dad was yeah. part of like some sort of rebellion against the ruling class. Yeah. Which I didn't really understand that aspect of the story. I will say like, I was like, what, I don't know what's going on here, <laughs> but I think it's my fault as like a Westerner, like an American. I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't know this history. Yeah. We kind of got that info dump. Like, what was it like two thirds of the way through the book or something like that? When we're re when we're figuring yeah. out like what actually happened with her dad 
and Kai's yeah. adoptive mom slash aunt auntie. Mm-hmm. And maybe like some of this is like our Western idea of what fairy tales slash folklore are, because I feel like we get like lots of like Hans Christian Andersen and like Grimm's fairy tales, which there are like these magical elements to oftentimes, but that's right. not necessarily going to be the case. And like, all other cultures, fairy tales, folklore, retellings of real people into like, you know, kind of, like you said, like immortal beings almost. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe that's on us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go get Kylo Ren. Adam, where are you? Adam Driver. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> are you here did you see that meme that it was like every you walk into the um like the romance section of the bookstore and every everything has adam driver on the cover basically <laughs> no i have not seen that but i did see him introducing the uh austin grand prix for f1 and i was like hello who are you <laughs> what are you doing here i was like ariana what are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> Where's your lightsaber? Yeah, yeah. He does seem to crop up all over the place. And I'm not mad about it. No, we're not. We're not mad about that. Unless he turns out to be a douchebag, then I'm like, yeah, actually, I forget about it. Then we'll get (laughs) mad about it. And then we'll move on. (laughs) Yeah. So one thing we are mad about is conflict, villains, and good and evil, obviously. So that's what we're talking about. I would put at the top policies of total assimilation. Because mm-hmm, they talk mm-hmm. about that. That was like a big current. That was like what um, what people in the North were debating about doing. Like having to, yeah, change their names and change like the controlling which languages they speak. Like in uh, public institutions and at schools and changing people's customs. Probably the way they dress. Probably food. Probably spiritual things. And um, yeah, and just... That's, in fact, genocide, my friends. So yeah. any of that erasure, yeah, especially <laughs> on like an institutional level, is like, oh, oh, not great. Not great. Mm-mm. And, and I think in the author's note, Sherry Thomas does talk about like how that did actually happen, like with the changing yeah. of people's names and language and all those kinds of things, which... I didn't know. I, we don't learn Chinese history in the U.S. or at least like zero. Not without maybe probably taking like a college course in it because you're like a history major or, you know, something like that. But I never learned anything about Chinese history. So um, I had no idea that this had happened. No, I'm pretty sure the, co- the like the extent was it was like, am I sure I didn't grow up in the McCarthy era? You know, it was like Mao and mm-hmm. communism bad you know like the extent the american propaganda is so (laughs) strong like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but no like not a monolith lots of intricate like historical nuances and cultural differences and ethnic differences and yeah so much going on and i i feel like i it, it just barely you know i got a peek beyond the veil of my ignorance basically and then yeah uh, got to see all the things that I like have no idea about. Totally agree. Um, in this section, I would also put uh, things like pride and shame and like generational fights that start for and continue for like reasons that you kind of have been like lost to time. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, that was like a big access for the conflict of the story, which, which like it gave it tension 
and um it did like i i liked how the story like plopped us down in the middle of like a fight between Mm -hmm. luan and kai before we know his name's kai yeah and then it kind of like zooms back out from like like temporally and shows you like what's been going on and why and then i appreciate how these two characters were like yeah no i don't feel it's their game not ours basically and at the end we're like we're gonna do this the other way we're gonna be um clever about it and uh maybe i think it kind of like gets to the point how sometimes youth can be further along in their like politics and have actually alchemized some of their emotions and know maybe a little bit more about history than their elders sometimes like i don't want to like put elders down necessarily but sometimes the youth but sometimes they need to be Mm-hmm. <laughs> put them in their place yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gen z we're counting on you <laughs> mm-hmm. onward magical friends just as one does not simply walk into mordor one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race class gender and ability this is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate I think that we kind of touched on this a little bit about like the hard parts about historical fiction, historical fantasy. And one of the things that like I kind of find difficult is everything seems to like go back to these binaries that we've kind of worked to start breaking down like within our society and like within our, you know, our generation, I'm sure. And it started generations before us, but I think we see like bigger leaps and bounds in our generation. Um, So like binaries between men and women, or in this case, sons and daughters, ability versus disability, barbarians versus civilized and that kind of came up a lot in this book and we kind of see like mulan like working through this but there was still a lot like there and i think it's i think it can be hard in historical works to like mm, give it these like anachronistic views on these things but at the same time not like perpetuate them um so this was like a little bit of a struggle for me reading something like historically based and maybe that's why I don't really read historical fiction very often. But yeah, I don't know. This was just kind of like a mm, a sore spot for me a little bit. Like a little record scratch mm-hmm. whenever it would come up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you brought this up. This is very astute, I would say. Yes, completely. And, and especially because like we're hearing things now about how like, people of multiple genders and gender expressions and sexualities have existed across cultures Mm -hmm. for time since time immemorial you know what I mean but like how do we yeah almost like get past our the the narratives that we've inherited and these binaries that we're like trying to break out of yeah it's like very hard we've made some like hard one advances Mm -hmm. and then but like yeah I guess it's fiction we could just like retcon the shit out of it you know Especially with like the things we're learning now. Yeah. And I think we often see that in the stuff that we're reading when it takes place in like um undetermined time where they kind of like just change those things. And maybe that feels like more difficult right. with like a real person. I don't know. <laughs> I appreciated how you brought up the like by barbarians and civilized this like dichotomy. It's because it's definitely one of the like core, I don't know, like gravitational pulls, I think, of like the the narrative and one of the things that came up like that's kind of like a case in point is the whole question of written and oral traditions and so text-based systems not just in by like the antagonist shall we say in the novel but you know i don't know anthropologists and academics and you know just like 
people who are, you know, racist because we all are, because that's the yeah. water that we're like grown up in or whatever. But like, because they use these people, like experts or whatever, will, some used to use like verbal expression, mm-hmm. um, like cast that as like primitive or lacking, yeah. whereas cultures that have like text based systems are better or more advanced. And I just did a little, uh, I've been like listening to some audio books that are talking about like inherited narratives of productivity and, and things like that. And one of the, it came I think I was reading Celeste Headley's do nothing. Um, and it talked about like this, like contrast between written and oral and how one gets cast as like more advanced and one is like quote unquote primitive. Mm -hmm. But so I did a little research as I do. And the oldest writing systems that we know about are, um, from about 3000 to 3400 BCE. And that's like the cuneiform script of the Sumerians in Mesopotamia. Um, Egyptian hieroglyphics were around the same time. Um, so that's about 5,000 years ago. And in China writing developed, uh, independently via these divination tools called oracle bones which are exactly like they sound like it would like be symbols carved into the bones and they would be used in like divination rituals um and that was around a thousand bc so like three thousand ish years ago and i'll include some like links in the show notes i'll cite my sources of course but like so you're thinking like three to five thousand years ago is writing okay and then by contrast oral traditions have existed for like tens of thousands of years like there's a reason why mnemonic devices work why people can you know memorize all these sorts of like songs and poet mm-hmm. epic poetry used to be recited from memory you know what i mean like indigenous communities the world over have been using oral traditions uh like successfully for a long ass time yeah. and it's like very it's it's very colonizer to, to and like imperialist to be like mm, actually that technology that you've and traditions you've been using for like a long time aren't as good as like this new printing press i have over here you know what i mean i mean that's anachronistic because the printing press was you know <laughs> a thousand years after this story was yeah. written but you know what i mean or but yeah Yeah. And I think this also even comes up. It's um, interesting because you brought up like the oral versus written um, uh, traditions. But we also see like this um, like racist notion happening between like um, alphabetic languages and symbolic languages where there were like was lots of research around Mm. the fact that like symbolic languages were like not as good as like the alphabetic ones. And it's just not based in anything. And there's actually like lots of studies that show like people read the same whether they read alphabetic or symbolic languages but it's funny to see like how we just backtrack like what's the next thing we can do to make certain people seem like they're not as good as other people like we always seem to find a way (laughs) yeah you're you're right you just kick it so so it sounds like it's just like a shitty imperialist racist move (laughs) yes to be doing that yep racism all the way down (laughs) It's interesting because we have like this very like heteronormative uh, couple, Kai and Mulan in the story. But we also have like this like little thing that keeps cropping up in like the background of the stories where like about these soldiers who are all, you know, men um, like hooking up while they're like away on their like wars. (laughs) I'm doing a little dance. I don't know why. (laughs) You are. (laughs) Yes. The wrist is out. Yeah, I'm just like, they're little <laughs> wars. They're like, mm, they're little side quests or whatever. Side quests? <laughs> I don't know. But it was just funny to me that this 
keeps coming up because I think we also like we I think some people think of like um queerness as something that is like new nobody did this before like this is like a product of the times and I'm like mm, this has been like going on for so long are you joking right now like <laughs> people have been horny for like ever guys <laughs> and if you put a bunch of men together and there are no women around this is what happens <laughs> so <laughs> it is funny to think that like we just have like these very heteronormative ideas especially I think of like soldiers and I think it's just wrong you know <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like this this lens of masculinity, toxic masculinity that we mm-hmm. cast, you know, on that or that like is used to describe the yeah. military also, you yeah. know, and then turns out it's like, yeah, a, a lot of the like, well, I would say like the same for like, I don't know, sports or yeah. things now, right? There's like a lot of like homoerotic subtext going 100%. on if you watch like anything. Yeah. <laughs> Any yeah. sport balls. Yeah, I think people are maybe just more comfortable with it now than they used to be, you know, but it's or probably actually some of these times it wasn't unusual. I think like um, what they call them in like the time of Socrates, like the bathhouses and they would men would go to them to have sex with other men. So yeah, like institutional pedophilia also yeah. in that context. Yeah, too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I shouldn't have brought that up because there's a whole con like the whole grooming and oh my God, I've I've taken us down a rabbit hole that I didn't want to take us to. But you're right. The whole like the like the veneer of the hetero like sexual culture but like underneath it all everyone is like there's a lot of like queer cultures going on like a lot depending on the context right well one like sexuality is a spectrum like maybe you end up with certain kinds of people in the end but that doesn't mean that was necessarily what was always going to happen or that you can't be attracted to people who don't align with the person who ends up being like you end up being like sexually interested in or whatever so um i think like nowadays people are much more comfortable with that idea that like oh like a straight man can talk about like another man and be like yeah that guy's good looking whatever i don't want to have sex with him but like that's fine or they can be like yeah i would totally have sex with that guy like that's fine too um so i think people are just like more comfortable in their sexuality now than maybe they were before but i just thought it was funny that this came up in this like very heteronormative relationship in this book (laughs) Yes. And then also I thought it was interesting how it was the like the the tracker who is like coded as well, I get gay, queer. I don't know mm-hmm. uh, what they would call themselves. this yeah. Imaginary character. But he was the one who clocked her. Yeah. As being a woman. Whereas all of these other like. Yeah straight guys for lack of a better word like didn't know didn't notice anything <laughs> yeah it's like the tracker and then like kai funny. knew the whole time <laughs> right exactly um which was also interesting maybe this is for shipwrecked because like in the disney one like i think that's where that like bisexual icon uh thing comes from is that like i don't know i don't remember what his name is in the disney movie but like in this like one like he was attracted to Mulan before he knew she was a woman so like it was funny to see that like not be part of the story at all like in any way shape or form I was like oh that's disappointing (laughs) it was yeah because like the gender fuckery was like I maybe it was it that was an interesting part right in the in the movie and how that like uh, added to the like the yeah the romantic attraction or whatever um I guess this kind of segues to the next point that you wrote in the notes. Yes. Okay. So this story has like a lot of cultural expectations of women in it. And we kind of see like Mulan like 
pushing the boundaries of those as she's pretending to meet a man. So she is like kind of living in these two worlds and she's kind of given up her life as a woman in a way because of like what her dad wants for her, which we'll get into that later a little bit. (laughs) But also, yeah, like her dad kind of made her. Yeah. Which was, I was like, excuse me. But we do see it like come out in different situations with like the way she interacts with her dad or like the way she interacts with like different people, depending on how she's presenting at the time. Yeah, that that's true. And then it is also interesting because she gets offered these like jobs or like positions that she like never had mm-hmm. even imagined for herself because women, I guess, in like in the culture as it's cast in this book like didn't have i don't they weren't like ambassadors they weren't like you know high high positions or court or whatever yeah um but it's also like i've been seeing recently about how it's like yeah there's like the socialization of gender but it's also like kind of tricky to talk about that because that doesn't happen in a monolithic way you know like race matters class matters Mm -hmm. like uh Mm -hmm. yeah how much education you have like ability and location yeah exactly um so like i think sometimes these larger concepts are helpful to like conceive of the fact that i don't know it's more complicated than you're born one way and you're like nature versus nurture essentially right it's like yeah it gives us a way to talk about that but Mm -hmm. it's still i feel like the more nuanced and local and like specific we can get the like less trouble we get in because like not all women are socialized the same you know what i mean yeah. not all men are socialized the same yeah exactly and, and then it gets like tricky because mm-hmm. like turfs love to use this like socialized as female sort of framework which is like mm-hmm. not something i'm like for like not pro turf here so yeah it's just like it's interesting seeing like <laughs> these ideas percolate further into consciousness across sectors of society and then see what gets tricky when that happens you know yeah and there's a lot here that got like real there's a lot of mind fuckery going on for me totally, really. totally. <laughs> yep exactly And in that vein, there was a lot about duty to your country in this book, which I was like, ooh, no, thank you. And your dad, (laughs) which I'm like, I like culturally, I guess I just don't relate. Oh, yeah. To like the country also kind of stands in as this like patriarch, even higher above the father figure, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe just like, yeah, patriotic arguments aren't going to sway either of us, really. (laughs) No, not like zero percent. Um, and but it's hard too because obviously this is set in a very specific point in time, which I think right. also makes this like a very interesting book to discuss because like, well, maybe people don't feel that way, like in you know who live in these cultures now. Cult- and as Sherry Thomas said at the end, like in the author's notes, so much has changed since four eighty four A.D. Like a fucking course. Um, so it's interesting to see it in this point in time and be able to talk about it, like how we think about it now versus maybe how it was thought mm-hmm. about then. And also just, I think just differences between like how like elders are treated in like, I guess, mm-hmm. U.S. imagination. I don't know if that's even like a fair like thing to categorize it as, right? Like I maybe I, I should just speak from my own like experience, mm-hmm. like in like my experience as a white person, like, yeah, there's, there's not as much of like the, you know, generations don't live together and like uh, there's mm-hmm. less... I feel like maybe this is just a stereotype I'm inherited, you know, as a white person, but like the, it seems like there's in, in like Asian cultures, 
just more of a deference like a like a generational deference mm-hmm. to older generations and then also yeah like the the whole patriarchal all various patriarchal figures which you get you get here yeah. but i feel like maybe just to a different degree i don't know yeah no i agree yeah um maybe i'm just telling on myself probably am that's fine call me out everyone <laughs> <laughs> another thing we have to address and i was like is anyone going to address it in the book is chest binding okay there's never there's no like she talks about binding like getting like binding fabric like specific fabric for binding mm-hmm. but it's it's it, it's just kind of i'm on, left of the impression that she's binding 24 7 365 and maybe she has a small chest and that's like okay for her but like yeah the medical advice or whatever is to i'm just psa out there um is to bind for no more than eight hours a day and then also take a day off in the week and then they also say like size up if you're doing exercise and she's like i don't know killing people left and right with her amazing martial arts skills i'm like (laughs) i hope that you don't have costitis and that your like ribs are okay and that your chest is okay and you can breathe okay do you know what i mean but i feel like there's like this mythology around like the fact that you can like people back in the day who were passing or whatever were just like binding all the time maybe they were and maybe they did have all these like body issues but like speaking from experience it's not that comfortable to be doing this all day every day you know what I mean and and not safe exactly (laughs) exactly so I I just thought that was like huh I I wonder if like a maybe a sensitivity reader who is trans who yeah. who like has experience with chest mm-hmm. binding could maybe have just like added a little sprinkle of nuance that would have just showed maybe just a little bit more knowledge about the about the topic yeah yeah and i think it's hard too because i think like this has become like such a part of the folklore like we even see it in like the disney movie yep. um and i'm talking about the animated movie i haven't seen the live action one yet but uh I wonder if like kind of like as the author, she might not have looked up like what the procedures were, like what is actually safe and like how do we talk about chest binding mm-hmm. in our comment, like in our comment, in our current time um, to know that like, oh, she probably couldn't do this like 24 <laughs> seven, which I'm like, that is just one quick Google search away. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, and then, yeah, all the, and, and it is like a historical figure. So I assume like was maybe doing this, but mm-hmm. maybe there was also like multiple layers of clothes so that you like wouldn't get clocked yeah. or whatever. And yeah. Cause also the, they say don't like nowadays, right? Like you shouldn't bind with an ace bandage. You shouldn't bind with like mm-hmm. duct tape, obviously. Oh my God. Oh, it hurts so bad to take off. Trans tape is uh, something I've used that's, you know, also works well, but you have to like, the adhesive is super like strong. So you have to make sure you take it off the right way or else you're going to damage your skin. (laughs) And it's just like not as easy as I wrap myself up like a little burrito in some fabric and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm flat and (laughs) passes a man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So anyway, thanks for taking some time about that. Okay. Shipwrecked. Let's do it. Finally. It's a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. So in this story, we just mostly have Kai and Mulan. It's like a really like 
not big part of the story. Like, there's romance in the story, but, like, it's not the story, which is unusual for the books that we read. (laughs) We don't get a lot of these. Yeah, it was very, like, tender and, like, subtextual. Um, (laughs) And it was a lot of, like... Like, I think that the Sherry Thomas did a good job, like, crafting the the pining, the tension, the whole idea that it's almost like a, it's almost like a faded mate trope. You know what I mean? Because it's like two houses, both alike in dignity. Yeah. You know, like very, almost like faded star-crossed lovers sort of situation. Yeah, like pseudo enemies to lovers. Like, they're supposed to be enemies, but they don't want to. (laughs) But they're like, you're cute Mm -hmm. and also really good at swords. swords, So... (laughs) so let's get together well and how he's like a prince of course that felt like of course that fell into place yeah we did get some like more backstory about how mulan's dad was actually like gonna marry kai's mom yeah yeah yeah. i think so but he backed out because of uh he was in love with someone else so we get this like juxtaposition but love matches versus arranged marriages which you know seems to be like a thing the world Mm -hmm. over right people like are they pairing themselves off because they like each other or is this like a political i don't know economic or whatever kind of like arrangement yeah some kind of alliance exactly an alliance which both are valid and both have existed for a long time so we also had, yeah, the, the tracker who was, like, in love with his boss who turned out to be, like, the mm-hmm. big bad and who, you know, he's like, oh, dang. I appreciated how we we saw, like, that character be, like, yeah disillusioned and then stay yeah. on the right side of history. You know what I mean? Like, not just fall in with his, like, the person he's obsessed with. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, like, the, yeah, like you said, we like these little tiny hints of romance on, like, the peripherals, but not, like main story or anything which is fine that's good no. <laughs> it's more about un- undoing like a, a coup or trying to yeah. un trying to stop the coup which they yeah. don't actually stop but kind of they do stop it like that guy doesn't win in the end they kind of do yeah yeah i'm not sure that i captured the denouement you know like how everything <laughs> got tied up at the end right like I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah i'm not sure that i don't quote me on, okay. on what happened at the end, I guess. Sword fights galore. Let me tell you what. Lots of sword fighting. Yeah. There was ringing of a gong. Yep. 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 And then backup came in and they they were good. Everything worked out fine. <laughs> uh, now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind and kill your darlings. Take it away. Okay, I guess I'm the only one who... (laughs) Take it away. (laughs) There was, like, this line. um, I think, like, Mulan, like, thinks it or somebody says it. It's hard for me to keep track of who says what when I'm listening to the audiobook, like, when I'm writing things down. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this line really stuck out to me in thinking about, like, who gets to tell the stories of how things happened. And in this book, we're talking about how some of the the cultures within China had less of an emphasis on writing. You didn't say what the line was. Oh, language is history. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this emphasis on writing and how that affected other places, thought about them, um, because everything people knew came from the outsiders. And I think we see this a lot in a U.S. context where stories and histories that are told orally don't always make it to the majority of people. So we end up with like a history that is told from a perspective. And then usually that is the perspective of like the conqueror. And we kind of just like we touched on this earlier, but I think it 
mm, lends itself uh, really well to talking about like who gets to tell the history of their own people um, or like of a people. And normally, like, especially within education, we get like the people who conquered are the ones who get to tell like the histories of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really get those like outside or like those insider perspectives from the people who are like living through a thing. Yeah. And that it's another like reason why the whole like policies of assimilation that try to take language away are so pernicious, mm-hmm. right? Because like so much of yeah. this memory is, you know, through, yeah, is like cultural and collective memory is transmitted through language. And yeah, there's like, you can, the, the whole concept of like things that you can express in certain languages that you can't in others, like untranslatable mm-hmm. feelings, but that are just like so perfectly encapsulated the one i'm thinking about is obviously a european example because like whoop oh um <laughs> like the, the whole the idea of schadenfreude and like the higa and you know various things that are like untranslatable but that like have a lot of meaning yeah and then when you er- erase an entire cultural uh like like an entire language like so much of that is lost yeah agreed Uh, Before we end, it's time for real talk. Okay, yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, Before we time, it's before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a system or a concept or a trend that you hadn't before? In the unlikeliest turn of events, I am the only one who wrote anything here. I read what you wrote, and I'm like, dang, she is killing it. This first episode, I was. What you wrote here is making me think differently. So I'm excited. Take it away. Okay. So we, I feel like we had a lot of stories and fantasy of girls pretending to be boys in order to accomplish something like we did in this story. And I don't really know how to feel about this. So I tried to look and see if there were others who came away with like feelings about this trope, but couldn't find anything like specific. Um, I think this trope is meant to show that girls are just as capable of things that are considered masculine as boys are. And I totally get that. But for some reason, the use of it as a trope feels like it could be perceived as transphobic. Like it's saying something about like pretending quote unquote to be a gender other than the one you were assigned at birth. And I defer Mm. to trans and non-binary folks on this one because I'm not part of that group, but I don't know, like, this is so much a part of the story of Mulan and I understand why it would be difficult to change it. Um, but I'm not sure it's like sensitive to the liberality of some folks and the prejudices they face, um, especially like around concepts of like pretending um, or like, you know what I mean? So like for me, I don't know how to feel about this trope. I understand why it was used in this story, but I don't know. It feels like a little uncomfortable to me. Yeah. I'm a, let's let's spend some time with this. Let's dig in um, because <laughs> I'm really I'm really glad you brought this up because yeah it does get it, it's like a little bit of like a yeah like a, I said earlier like a, like a, a record scratch moment when it's being used like across mm-hmm. a bunch of different series like I, I completely agree it's not adding this story in particular but more like what happens when people use this trope when it's not like necessitated by the like the yeah. historical narrative that you're t- telling. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting because we don't see a lot of stories about how of, of boys who need to dress up as girls in order yeah. to get some things done, you know, like that would be mm-hmm. maybe an interesting way of challenging our preconceptions. 
but yeah, it's very, very common trope. Um, it's all over the context I'm most familiar with is Europe just because of my education, but like it's all over Spanish plays in the mm-hmm. 1600s. It's all over British plays in the 1600s. You know, it's, it's like this trope is all over and it's carried through for sure. And I think it's like making comments about like how patriarchy is bad mm-hmm. and like it doesn't like gender roles are bad, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I guess I'm trying, I'm having a similarly hard time. Like I'm circling <laughs> around the thing. Like I'm having a hard time pinpointing what exactly is, rubs me the wrong way about it, you know? Well, I think like when I initially I'm like, mm, I don't know, like this is part of the, you know, like it's just a trope, like, but I think the part of it that feels harmful to me is that there's like this rhetoric around like trans and non-binary people like pretending to be the gender other than they were assigned in birth. And I think, you know, I don't believe that to be true. (laughs) So like, I don't think people are pretending. And so for people to pretend to be something other than the gender, you know, like for Mulan is in this example to pretend to be a boy to get something that she wants. And because that rhetoric is used against trans and non-binary people and particularly against um, trans women, especially when we come to like discussions about like who gets to use what bathrooms, like this idea of using it for pretend feels like harmful. And so much as like, we don't have like a, a juxtaposition of this with somebody in the story included who is trans or non-binary who can like provide a real look at someone who actually isn't the gender they were assigned at birth you know what I mean so for me I was just I'm just like mm, I don't know there's just like this tension there where I'm just like I don't know it feels wrong but I'm not part of that group so <laughs> I can't actually like you know so I'm like I don't know if other people feel this way and I try to look it up and there were some people who were like you know as a trans or non-binary person I don't like this trope they weren't talking about this book in particular um, but it was also really hard to like look up because then when you look it up all that comes up is like oh here are books with this trope. <laughs> I mean I would imagine that if like a trans person took on this trope yeah maybe it would be interesting right or maybe yeah. they could do it in a way that that like is groundbreaking Mm -hmm. right or like what would happen if like a trans mask person who had experience in binding you know is talking about like a character who has to do chest binding you know yeah um but but yeah then it does yeah the whole pretending thing because like all gender's a drag folks yeah especially like like you can't win when when it's like you're you know, living your life as a woman, but people keep coming back to like biological sex as like a category that yeah. act, that matters. What as if like intersex people didn't exist and hadn't existed for literally ever. You know, yeah, it's not as easy as like black and white MRF. You know, those sort of yeah. boxes really suck. Yeah, yeah, and and I think also to me, I'm like, where is the story of someone like dressing against the gender they were? is that the right term sex they were signed at birth no gender they were signed at birth but then realizing like that's who they are like we don't I don't see those stories and I think that would like be quite meaningful to someone to like especially young people to see like these stories where like people are like oh you know what I didn't realize or like I always had these feelings but like actually like stepping out of like what mm, the world wants me to do made me realize like oh I'm doing this for other people and not for myself so like I feel like that might be a way that like those stories could be told, but like, it's like the pretending aspect that like kind of just like rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And also like the imperative, like to pass and how all Mm -hmm. these things are done to then like maybe 
maybe subconsciously like reinforce yeah. a binary that like their very performance yeah. is like sticking a spoke through this wheel you know what i mean but like yeah exactly it would be interesting if there are characters that like yeah did that their goal wasn't to pass necessarily yeah you know and then imagining different societies or different where places where all sorts of kinds of gender expression are accepted you know Um, which yeah i get like a historical fiction that maybe wasn't the point of this but it is also like fiction you know yeah and like we have as much yeah we uh, like honestly we don't we probably project as much as we know yeah. about these sorts of time periods, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's a difficult one, but I just, I feel like I couldn't go through the episode and just like not mention how, you know, it just felt kind of like icky, you know? It's a little, it's a little complicated. Yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> Who would have thought? Nuance. What? <laughs> Who would have thought? It's like our brand. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for card questions? I'm so ready for card questions. I've missed them so much. Let's see how many I have to pull before I like the question. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Oh, this is a good one. How much power do the characters have to change their world? Apparently a shit ton. Mm. (laughs) Apparently a lot. Yeah, they did it. It happened they did the thing but they're they're like changing it in order so that it like maintains Stains the status the same. quo yeah yeah so I'm also like, mm, which is like mm. Mm, that's a bit of a radical it's not like mm, yeah my favorite but, <laughs> but like, it is how the story went yeah <laughs> um like i would say they have a, a ton of power to change their like generational like trauma yeah. lineages right when they're like so it ran in the family until it ran into me yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yes i heard that somewhere sorry i can't credit my source uh, it's okay in okay these are good questions what does this book have to say about intimacy oh mm. i think of like the in like a very embodied but like non-sexual way the martial arts i think played a big role in this mm-hmm. like responding like watching other people reading them and their bodies and their actions and anticipating and responding that felt like very intimate yeah to me I would agree with that answer yeah and like the intimacy I think of getting to know a person um like there's something there like it's because like with Mulan and Kai it wasn't like uh we don't really see like any sexual tension really between them but like there's this like desire to be close to each other which was interesting and maybe like not something we see as much in the books that we read uh like I think we all often have like the sexual tension but this was like almost a tension to be together um and as opposed to like a sexual tension Mm -hmm. it was almost like romantic but ace a little bit yeah 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 in some way there we go (laughs) yeah you want to do one more let's do one more How do the people in this story comfort themselves and others? Where have these questions been <laughs> for the past however long we've been doing them? Oh, um, comforting themselves and others. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I did like some of those little group dynamics when they struck out on their own beyond the wall yeah. and the like Kai's secret brother or yeah. something, secret cousin. I don't know. 
they were like helping each other out in the wilderness, you know, taking care of each other, which I thought was good. But I don't know. There wasn't a lot of like emotional intimacy in the novel. No, like not in that way. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. They're fighting. They're they're all in. Yeah. They're all in fight response. They're not. They're not processing their their traumas <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It'll, that that off later. page. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. We did it. We did it. Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo. You know, we'd love to be in conversation with you guys. Magical people, let us know what you think of the episode. Anything we missed, like seriously, I'm sure I, I missed things, a lot <laughs> or fucked up a lot. So anyway, um, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or reaching out to us on Instagram at the library. Company. I took out Twitter since we're like never on there anymore. Or X, formerly known as Twitter. Exactly. Like the artist formerly yeah. known as Prince. Um, I feel like I should take out comments because we don't allow comments anymore because it's all just like bots it's like russian bots yeah you can comment on instagram you can't comment on our website anymore sorry we have so many sorry. weird stuff um but you can subscribe to the library coven on the podcast app of your choice and we'd really love it if you would rate and review the show um if you're able to support our labor financially you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee you can support us monthly on patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page until next time, stay magical. Yay! We did it! Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. <laughs>